And now, The Low Post. Welcome to The Low Post Podcast. It's Monday morning in Los Angeles, and holy cow! The NBA playoffs have started. Eight games are in the books. Wall-to-wall mainlining of basketball. And I think the game of the playoffs so far happened in Phoenix. Game one, Clippers, Suns. Clippers, no Paul George. Suns, first playoff game of the KD era, if we can call it an era. And the Clippers, behind an absolute God-mode two-way performance from Kawhi Leonard. Some muscly, tough Smart defense from everyone involved. Some scheming and strategery from Ty Lue with the matchups. Go in, and I don't even want to see they stole game one in Phoenix. Because that implies that when people say they stole a game, you know, it's like they were outplayed. They lucked into it. They just went out and won the game. A really tough, gritty performance from the Clippers. Um, Om Young Masuk, you were there. Kawhi and KD didn't guard each other at the start. Guarded each other more and more at the finish. What a show. Um, The headlines are, where was KD in crunch time? We'll talk about that. The Suns, only 19 three-point attempts. That's not enough. Seemed a little skittish at times in their first big playoff game together. What a show. Did you enjoy that? It was awesome. Uh, The atmosphere was great. Uh, I've been here in Western Conference Finals a couple years ago with the Clippers, and that was kind of just kind of coming out of COVID and the pandemic. I think from the get-go, this place was rocking. It was very loud last night. And, I mean, you should have saw Wendy, man. <laughs> Wendy was so – the word was confounded by Russell Westbrook's performance that as we were texting each other, I was like, you know, this guy went full John Starks. Three for 19. At one point, he was three for 18, like John Starks, but three for 19. And yet made so many – winning plays at the end there that both Wendy and I hadn't seen anything like that. It was pretty awesome to watch. And then of course, playoff Kawhi, you know, his return to the playoffs first time since tearing his ACL since 2021 and just adds to the stellar playoff reputation. And by the way, Zach, let me know where you want to have dinner because you won the bet that we made where I thought I said, you know, this is a possibility. Do you think Kawhi is going to play 15 games after All-Star break out of the 21 remaining? I think he played like 18 or something like that. And you were, uh, you know, you just incredulous. To how could he not play 15 games? He's definitely going to play above 15 games. And so you won. And so dinner on me, wherever you want, when you're free in L.A. Just, he's just an unbelievable postseason player. 13 of 24. Looked totally effortless, dominant on defense, whoever he was guarding, and we'll talk about that. They started him on Aiton, which was the curveball that I, I don't think the Suns were expecting, and then put him on KD late, and I think one of the reasons that KD was relatively quiet and often uninvolved late was Kawhi Leonard. I don't think that was the whole reason. This is Kevin freaking Durant. It doesn't matter who's guarding him to some degree, but a lot of it, some of it, some, it was not a non-factor that Kawhi Leonard was the one guarding Kevin Durant. Um, Zach, and quietly, okay, going into the series, I had ESPN Stats and Info look this up. Kawhi Leonard, o- only two players have guarded individual matchups against Kevin Durant, regular season and playoffs, over the previous decade more than Kawhi Leonard. Can you guess the two? Have guarded Durant more? Mm-hmm. In how long? Uh, the d- past 10 years? Past 10 seasons, playoffs and regular season, Kawhi has 626 individual matchups against KD. 
Who are I'm, the two I'm, guys I'm, above him? I'm not even going to. I'm not even going to venture. I'm not even going <laughs> to venture. I guess PJ Tucker and Trevor Ariza. No, the Rockets guys. Yeah, that makes sense. Tony Allen back in the day guarded him pretty well. Um, yeah. And on a day that will be remembered for injuries to Giannis, who uh, according to the Athletic is looking optimistic potentially for Game Two. To John Morant, who Tim McMahon said was downtrodden after the game. To Tyler Hero, who broke his hand somehow diving for a loose ball. And the Giannis and Morant injuries have ignited this whole, should we have charging rules or not debate, which I don't want to get into today. Yes, we should have charging rules, but they should be different and more favorable to uh, offensive players than they are currently, but you can't ban the charge. But anyway, it was wonderful to have an epic game. And you mentioned, Russ, the offensive rebounds down the stretch. He's like, he reminds me of a defensive lineman, the way he's deking out his guy. Like, Torrey Craig had inside <laughs> position on him, and he would fake one way. When Torrey Craig would turn around to glance, like, okay, where's Russ? Russ is a serious threat. He would turn around to glance, and Russ would fake one way and then cut the other way and, like, has a little swim move like a defensive lineman trying to get a sack, and he comes in and gets the <laughs> offensive rebound. And then his defense on Devin Booker, I, I say this without hyperbole, I think it's the greatest defensive play of his career where he stops Devin Booker with the game on the line and then throws the ball off of him after blocking a shot. Very reminiscent of what Drew Holiday did to Marcus Smart um, in the playoffs last season, throwing the ball off Marcus Smart and blocking a shot. Uh, I mean, the best three of 19 game I've ever seen. And they just got contributions up and down the roster. Like this is a, with the exception of the Bones Highland minutes, and he was fine, and he made a three when Terrence Ross, who was awful in four minutes, screwed up every possible coverage. Um, he they took just a huge a, shot to the face, too. They just have it. The Clippers just have a bunch of strong, muscly guys, even their undersized guys. Like I said this on my preview pod, I think they're going to open with Eric Gordon on Kevin Durant, and they did. Norm Powell's not a great defensive player, but he's strong and muscly, but Toom's long. Like they don't. Terrence Mann, this is a great Terrence Mann series. He can guard, you know, a bunch of different players. On the Suns, notably Chris Paul, who um, we should probably talk about Chris Paul because for all the headlines on like the where was Durant and crunch time, the two other big stories are this. Phoenix only had six players play more than 10 minutes in the game. The starters and Landry Shamit. Durant played 45 minutes. Booker played 43 minutes. This is a team that has, as we get to go time here, clearly has trust issues with almost everybody else on the team. I mean, Shamit was the only other guy. And Chris Paul, two of eight, missed three shots in crunch time that are like bread and butter Chris Paul shots. One of which, he almost looked a little skittish, like they went under the screen and he had a three. And he and he kind of, well, should I take No, I'm not going to take it. Then he went around, snaked it, got to his sweet spot at the right elbow, and kind of like weirdly hesitated again and had this little hippity hop into a weird jumper that missed with Kevin Durant in the right corner. The whole time. And, oh, my, I looked back and watched crunch time today. Kevin Durant ran two pick and rolls in the last three minutes of the game. So it's not as if he was uninvolved. He had two. He wasn't involved enough. Don't get me wrong. He wasn't involved as Kevin Durant. But he had two pick and rolls um, in the last three minutes of the game. And both times the Clippers essentially forced the ball out of his hands. Kawhi got over the screen, and Kawhi was amazing. Zoo was up at the level of the screen. And ready on the weak, ready on the strong side, actually, both times, was Terrence Mann ignoring Chris Paul, ready to be a third defender on the play. And we can make the headline KD and Kawhi and Russ and all that 
Chris Paul, two of eight. Man, only 19 three-point attempts for the Suns. None of those are good enough. There were uh, some things going into the series I thought the Clippers had to do. One was take – they had to steal game one. I'm going to use the word steal uh, because, you know, obviously they were massive underdogs in this series without Paul George, who looks like he's not going to play in this series. Number two, you know, take advantage of the lack of time that they've had together on the floor. Eight games total with Kevin Durant. Number three – you have to win the bench points and take advantage of the Suns' lack of depth. Let's see how that was going to play out. No campaign, so they they can't really take do something that I think is maybe a Clippers' Achilles heel, which is guards that are aggressive, that can get to the rim, take them off the dribble. Clippers have trouble staying in front of guys like that. In a weird way, in this matchup, to me, you know, this is a jump-shooting team, which gives the Clippers a little time to defend guys. An elite jump-shooting team with guys like Devin Booker and Kevin Durant. But then also, get physical with Devin Booker. Get physical with, with, with Chris Paul. I think right before all of these things happened with Chris Paul, Terrence Mann and Chris Paul got into it. Like, uh, after, like, a play went down, the, the kept going down the other way, they got tangled up. And, like, I don't know what happened. It almost looked like Chris Paul was going to swing at Terrence Mann, but Terrence Mann's very good at kind of getting under the skin of guys like Luka Doncic and him used to go at it all the time. And so I think Terrence Mann was kind of not bullying Chris Paul, but he was getting physical with him, which I think I'd like to see. And then, look, I don't think you can expect all this stuff from Russell Westbrook every game, but I actually asked ESPN Stats and Info, you'll like this, right after the game, I said, when is the last time we've seen someone shoot three for 19 in the playoffs, yet make several winning impactful plays on defense clutch free throws, a defensive stop, and the offensive glass. Guess what Sig answered back to me? You could say it was Russell Westbrook. The Wizards actually beat Philly, and when he shot three for 19 in game four, he went 19 points, 13 for 16 at the line, 21 rebounds, 14 assists, and two steals. So we actually have seen it before, Zach, and I showed this to to Russ in the locker room. I go, Russ, guess who's the last person to do it? You. And I go, what is it about? I asked him in that post game. I said, "What is it about you and three for 19? And he actually said, "I don't know." He was like, "But you know, it must be the secret number." And he said, "If it works, then you know it works." You know, so I mean, he's the, he's the only guy that's ever done it. <laughs> I guess Russ has three of 19, and James Harden has two of 11 in his playoff dud specials. Uh, but Russ was outstanding. Terrence Mann, you mentioned him, revved up the pace as soon as he got in the game. Immediately, the Clippers start running in transition. I, I just love Terrence Mann. I've been on the Terrence Mann needs to play more bandwagon yep. for two years now. And speaking of um, of getting under people's skin, have you seen the video with Russ and the Phoenix fans in the hospitality yes. suite? Yeah. Well, I just that happened at the, halftime, apparently? So I, ju- I just tweeted the NBA is investigating it. Uh, they look at all these things. Okay, so basically, when the Clippers come out of the locker room, they are supposed to turn to the right this hallway, go straight down to another tunnel, and then come out this tunnel along the baseline, okay? And then head toward the opposite bench on the other side. So it's they're going around a little bit. But in front of the Clipper locker room, there's a door that goes into this, like, in the middle of the court, like Miami has it. There's, like, this lounge suite that, that fans who sit in, like, these little box areas – can go into at halftime and get food and drinks. The players, though, I guess during the pandemic when nobody was at games, 
We're cutting through this thing because it's a more direct line right to the court. Literally, you walk right out of the Clippers locker room. If you go through this thing, you can end up right in like maybe almost close to the middle of the court. So Russ took this shortcut. I guess some players were still doing it out of habit out of the pandemic. But you got to go through fans to do that because they're sitting in these couch areas and stuff. And so somebody must have yelled at something at Russ. Russ never takes that lightly, Zach. He will it sounded always like t- it sounded like West Brick yeah. uh, came out of somebody's mouth. Yeah, he's always going to respond back to fans and basically tell them, you know, I think shut your mouth, things like that. Uh, he's just he's always going to be combative about that. You cannot go at him and not expect Russ to answer back. And then I think that's what happened. So the NBA is looking into it. I'd be a little surprised if anything happened, but I will say this. I don't think we're going to see players go through that little uh, shortcut to the court anymore. Two things, three things, three things on this silliness, um, which is like ladder gate, but for the playoffs, just silliness. Um, One, at least the fan didn't quake in the presence of the player because all of these fans that are jerks to the players calling names and this, that when the player actually is like in a social oh, situation with yeah. them, it, it, it usually reverts to, Oh my God, I'm a huge fan, blah, blah. At least he stuck to it. Number two, the kid in the, the clip the just kid. keeps eating unfazed. And what, what is but, he, what is he eating? It's like a, it's like, it looks like a piece of like sirloin or something like that. I don't even know how he's eating it. Why, what he's eating, but he has a top 75 all time player. Behind him saying, watch your mouth, watch your mouth. And he's just like, this food is too good, man. I can't even engage in this situation. He should be on the Low Post podcast talking about the experience. Number three, here's the NBA's investigation. Hey, Russ, um, I saw the video clip. So you called the guy a name and he was calling you Westbrook. Is that basically the whole thing? Uh, okay, can you just can you just not do that again? But that that's the extent of it. Thank you. Goodbye. Good luck in game two. But like the investigation, what are they going to do? What are they going to do here? Uh, wait, 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 who now is uh, in the pantheon of Suns fans to you, Zach? I, there's a Suns and Four guy. Okay? Four. And four, right? four. And now what do we call this kid? The the sirloin kid? <laughs> the prime you know, red kid? <laughs> you know, he's got his I, – I can relate. When I'm hungry, and especially when I'm hangry, it, it just need, – the, the need needs to be satisfied immediately. I, I and, and nothing can get in my way. I will say this, Zach, the Suns did serve the media last night, so it had to be the same thing. It was some sort of like prime rib last night, and it, it was good. It was good, so I, I can't blame the kid. Can't blame it at all. Um, just an awesome, an awesome game, and um, Kawhi was amazing. The Clippers bench was amazing. Uh, a couple of things. The, 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 I thought the Clippers' defense overall was really, really good. I mean, to hold them to 19 threes, I know this is not a three-point shooting team, is really good, and – they're just, you know, you can't let them get cooking on long twos. They're too good, and they never got in a rhythm. Kevin yeah, didn't. Yeah. Devin Booker didn't. Chris Paul for didn't. Five, you know, KD starts over five. What did you think, Zach, of the the way they had like Westbrook kind of like guarding Durant, but then when somebody else was on Durant, it was like a stagger sprint to Kevin Durant on the side and try to like kind of like run around him but like come on the side here just to agitate him a little bit you know did you see that like Russ was doing that a lot like he was almost like a heat-seeking missile that would come over and kind of sprint to his side and make sure Kevin felt him can we get a cupcake reference at some time in this series can we get one (laughs) oblique cupcake reference from Russ anyway I I thought the clip look the Clippers are underdogs they know they're underdogs and so they came out 
A, we got to throw a curveball, and B, we got to keep throwing curveballs. So Russ will guard Kevin Durant out of nowhere at times. Eric Gordon will guard him. We'll try we'll try uh, Kawhi on him. We'll try Batum on him. Like, we're going to keep mixing it up. And the gambit of putting Zoo on Torrey Craig and Kawhi on DeAndre Ayton, I don't think it's, like, any bit of, like, crazy genius. Like, you see teams do this with their centers a lot. Like, who's the least threatening wing on the other team? Let's put our center there. The Clippers mm-hmm. have done it with Zoo before on Dorian Finney-Smith in the playoffs. But I think it was unexpected. And anytime you can just kind of get a team a little bit off balance, it helps. And then it was, un- like, sometimes they'd go back to it. And then sometimes they'd go away from it. And it was hard, I think, for the Suns to get in an understanding of, like, who is going to be where. And you saw it, like, even when they when they got pick and rolls with Zoo on Aiton. So they get what they want. We got our big guy screening and their big guy on the play. Zoo did, and Plumlee was even more aggressive, but Zoo came up, up pretty high, high enough to make you think about just stopping and shooting. And the help defense behind him was, like, on point. Like yeah. and, and you could see even Booker with like three minutes to go had a pick and roll with Aiton where he picked up his dribble like one step inside the three-point line and kind of like uh, uh, yeah. indecisively passed it to Aiton who took a long two. And it was a very skittish, indecisive possession from a guy who is normally super-duper confident. And they just had him, they just had him out of rhythm offensively and they got to find a way to get in rhythm. And I, th- I think part of it is they just need – kind of a little more juice, a little more pace to their offense. And Durant, even if Kawhi's on him, Durant cannot spend so much time just standing in the corner. Use him as a screener. Set cross screen. If, you're, if they're going to guard him with Eric Gordon, set some cross screen so he can post up and catch the ball 12 feet from the rim. Like, get a little bit more creative because I, I know he's got Kawhi on him, and I know Kawhi being in the play is generally really good for Kawhi's team. And if you watch those Durant pick and rolls, man, he comes th- those two I mentioned in the last three minutes. Kawhi's on him, and you can see KD turn the corner. And he, the second one, he's got a window to maybe shoot, but Zoo's up pretty high. And Kawhi behind you is just a different thing, man. Yeah. It's a different thing. You can see it, you can hear it, you can feel it. But they still need to use Durant more than they did. I mean, the thing is, you look at the box score. If you didn't watch the game, you see. Oh, you know what? Aiton Aiton had eighteen and eight, but it wasn't an aggressive eighteen and eight. I literally have in my notes right here: quiet eighteen and eight. Yes, DeAndre. Zoo won the battle of the big men, and I think that is an absolute must in this series because if you're so focused on Kevin Durant and Booker and Chris Paul, you cannot let Aiton kill you inside. And Aiton just tried to pretty much do all of his work from the mid range around the free throw line kind of fell in love with that jumper and did not go inside to kind of punish them at that's, all. That's cool. That's DeAndre Aiden. We've seen him kind of do better than that against the Clippers in the playoffs. You know what I mean? And I think like, was that, that's the whole thing. Like maybe this game one, and I would expect the Suns to be a lot better in game two, but maybe this was the feel out game for the Suns that, you know, we're trying to get used to these guys in a playoff like atmosphere that they've never done before with Kevin Durant. And so I would think that, you know, Monty Williams has got a lot of, you know, he's got a lot of adjustments to make. I would expect Kevin Durant to be even better, as good as he was. It just, we did not get a, do- it's weird. You look at his numbers and they're great. But we didn't get a dominant Kevin Durant performance there. There was a brief moment where him and, and Kawhi started going at it. The other thing, too, is I would think you got to find a way to get the ball out of Kawhi Leonard's hands. You cannot let him work 
in the mid-range, and he had to work. It was a heavy 42 minutes. And as Ty Lewis said, you know, look, this is what we've been saving him for the entire season. But the Suns, you got to get the ball out of his hands. You cannot let him have room and space and time to maneuver to get his shots. Well, his he was – now, Torrey Craig started to deny him the ball late in the game. But they just ran the same play a million times, which is Kawhi takes a pin down from Zoo in the paint and comes out and catches the ball 15 feet from the rim. And his catches were way too clean the whole game. And it's a hard play to defend. It's hard. Like it's how, to how, how about at the end there where, where Durant denies Kawhi the ball? He can't even get the ball. Forcing Russ now to have to post up Devin Booker and go at it. And we're I'm like – He's already sees three for 19. Bad, bad foul is, by Devin Booker. Bad yes, foul. Just, but he just, draws a foul and then he hits the clutch free throws. Um, on Torrey Craig, I mentioned with, with David Thorpe in previewing the series, the possibility. I was like, I wonder if they'd even think about starting Torrey Craig because he's been their primary Durant guy, primary uh, Kawhi guy, rather. <laughs> um, to me, it's like a, a signal of fear. And I, I just wouldn't, I just would stick to Josh Okoge. Like, this is what we've been rolling with. Let's and I guess the point is if you think you're going to get there anyway, just get there right away. But it was a little bit of an alarm bell to me that right away they switched their starting five to account um, for Kawhi Leonard on Aiton. I, I said I've given up. I, what I've given up on is he's just never going to overpower people. It's just not yeah. who he is. All he wants to do is shoot jumpers. But if they're going to do this thing where they put Kawhi on him, I'm giving him post touches. I'm making Kawhi work just to yeah. see what happens. I'm a, I'm deathly afraid of DeAndre Ayton holding the ball anywhere within a 15-foot radius of Kawhi Leonard. It could go horribly. It could go horribly for everyone involved. But I'm doing it to make Kawhi work a little bit. And the first possession of the game or the second possession of the game, they ran a pick and roll to get a switch with Ayton, I think, ended up on Russ. They threw the ball to him, and he dunked. And they never did it again. Like, if they're going to guard DeAndre Ayton with small guys, just throw him the ball. Yeah, and look, I mean, you want – to try at least get Kawhi into foul trouble or anything like that. So if you have a big on him, why not? Look, I know he's he's as strong as an ox. I get it. You know what I mean? If anybody's going to be able to keep DeAndre Ayton out of the paint, it's probably Kawhi Leonard at, at his side. Because it's, it's just amazing when you watch him, like, you, you know, Kevin Durant smothering. I think I saw this one, this one possession, and Kawhi's, like, backing him in. And I get it. Kevin Durant's a lot skinnier than, than Kawhi. But you can see the strength. It's just like Ka- Kawhi he's, is a Kawhi's he's a an ox. He's an ox at this time of the year. It's unbelievable how good he is, and it just was great to see him kind of back on at, on this playoff stage again. So I, I I'm really looking forward to the adjustments. I mean, look, you know, Ty Lue lives for this time of the year. I mean, he's he's Ty M F and Belichick man. <laughs> well, and I mean? we may we may never see we may never see the Kawhi on Aiton, Zoo on Tory Craig thing again. Or we may just see it in little spurts. It could have been a game one wrinkle, and now we think you're going to prep for it, and we're going to go away from it. But, you know, one of the things they did to counter it was they did use Tory Craig as the screener to get Zoo involved in the play, and that worked a little bit here and there. But you know when it really worked? When at when they ran a little screening action before to get Kawhi off of, of Aiton and Kawhi on the ball. So if you're using Tory Craig as a screener, that generally means Aiton is down in the dunker spot somewhere. And if Aiton's down there and Kawhi's on him, Kawhi c- can be a rim protector. He's a little bit scary. And when he was mm-hmm. down there, Torrey Craig would flash in and t- take floaters or jump such. When they would get Kawhi off of KD, uh, off of Aiton and somewhere else, and there was a guard on Aiton underneath, Torrey Craig attacked the rim pretty aggressively. I'd like to see 
a little bit more of that. But they just need more. Like, they ran the Suns' Spain pick and roll, which is the pick and roll with the back screen behind it, usually with Booker as the back screener. I think they ran it once the entire game in the middle of the fourth quarter, and Devin Booker got an open three out of it. They just need a little bit more of that and to get KD a little bit more involved because the Clippers the Clippers are ready, man. They are ready. Credit to them. I didn't see a roadmap for them winning this series without Paul George, and they came out, and they looked every bit the Suns equal in game one. Yeah, I mean, look, I, I thought we were going to see if if the Clippers could not make game plan mistakes. That was a, a massive key for Ty Lue. Uh, keep their turnovers down and be able to defend. I thought they were going to – this series could go six. Let me ask you something, Zach. How much pressure are the Suns feeling right now? You know, I mean, everybody's talking about them going to the playoffs as a favorite to come out of the West. I mean, I like, picked them. They were my pick. I, I sat down with Jamal Murray. I'm doing a Jamal Murray feature, I think, for, for later in the playoffs and just about, you know, bubble Murray and playoff Murray coming back. And I asked him, I said, you know, nobody's talking about you guys, man. Everybody's talking about, you know, whether it's Kevin Durant, the Suns, oh, Golden State, the defending champs, you know? And he was like, yeah. He's like, we've been number one in the West all season long, but everybody's talking about everybody else. That's fine. But he, even Jamal knew. He, he was hearing about it. How much pressure do you think is in that Suns locker room right now down 1-0? I don't know. I would bet the players are so experienced and so confident that I, I think they would, they're would they fine probably. Just like, we just got to win this game, go to L.A., get a game. I mean, they could win the next four games. I mean, yeah. they could roll the next four games. I, I do think organizationally, having traded everything they traded for Durant with Chris Paul as old as Chris Paul is, there's going to be some nervousness in that arena for game two, even if it's not the players that are like that, you know, under pressure. I think the organization realizes that they need to win this series. They need to have a deep playoff run, given what they just given everything they just traded. But the players are just so experienced that I, I think they're probably fine. They've, they've all been in major adverse postseason situations before, but um, they need to show up and play, I think, a better offensive game. Defensively, I thought the Suns were actually pretty good, minus a few random, like, crazy breakdowns where they lost cutters or they didn't account for someone after a make and somebody hit an open three. Like, a couple just weird breakdowns. Um, I thought they were fine, but they do they do need to play better, and Chris Paul especially needs to play better. A note on Durant, by the way, for all the hubbub about him not being involved in crunch time, and he wasn't, he ran 25 pick and rolls last night. That's the second most he's run in any game this season. And the most he's run is a son by like an order of magnitude that is quite large. Like the previous high was 16. I will say they scored 1.4 points per possession out of those pick and rolls with Durant. They probably should run more of them. They probably should run more with Chris Paul as the screener. Just every potential variation of getting Kevin Durant involved yep. is is good for them. But that was a that was a fun game, man. That was a fun game. Yeah, I I'm going to be real curious. Like, look, I know there's not a lot of time between games. I think it's one one day off between the games for most of the series. You know, but look, I mean, I thought for a while, like Woj reported that Paul's likely out for the entire series. And I had been told right when Paul got hurt, hey, I was like, you know, could he come back in the middle or late first round? And I was told optimistic at best um, that, you know, it was, it was going to be a challenge to get him back. So everything points to the fact that he, you know, he's likely out for the entire series. But Okay, I saw him shooting, you know, he like within I was told initially he was going to need to have the knee immobilized for two to three weeks. Well, at the two week mark, he already started exercising, shed his his uh, crutches and was on a brace and then started exercising for a good week. And then by week three, we see him on the court shooting. 
So you know he's going to try everything he can. If this series gets to game six and they need him, I mean, I'm don't sure. Don't tease Clip- me, Om. Don't tease me. I'm sure the Clipper medical staff will err on the side of caution and say, no, 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 you know, because we st- they still have Kawhi, and Kawhi's fantastic. But, man, I don't know. Every time I see Paul, he looks better and better, I got to say. <laughs> Even though I still, t- for the record, you know, I-, I agree with Woj. I mean, it's it's unlikely he's, you know, he's probably out for the first round. Man, if they uh, we got a long way to go. Let's focus. Uh, let's focus on game two, and 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 the, the Suns need to focus on game two. But if there's a if there's a late series PG return, or if if the Suns actually lose this series, that would be really kind of a shocking tournament. I do think they'll play better. They'll make more long twos. They'll involve KD more. A little screen the screener action would be helpful to get the Suns some momentum. And on Aiton, the other thing I forgot to mention on Aiton, eight the rebounding has just got to be better. He cannot. He's not a physical box out guy, which is fine. Nobody is anymore. But he can't let Zubats and Mason Plumley just beat. They just beat him to position. They're like they would. If you watch some of these offensive rebounds, they start kind of from equal positions, and like the first slide is Plumley or Zubats just kind of just carving inside before Aiton is 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 ready for contact. He's got to be better. Um, but what a statement from from the Clippers, and we'll see if they can. If they can keep it up, man, whatever medical, whatever their medical staff did with Kawhi, it worked because we, we made fun of him. I made fun of him during the season. Is this a science experiment or is this a team? He looks incredible. He's looked incredible for four months and the way he's played, like this is top five player, God mode Kawhi Leonard right now. I've been saying this, like I don't, I'm old school. I don't like load managing. Okay. I come from an era where everybody played, you know, 70 to 82 games. But I will say this, and I've said this about Kawhi Leonard, whatever he does with this low management and not playing it back-to-backs, it's working for him. For him specifically, only talking about Kawhi, it works for him. So stick to the plan. And, you know, toward the end, obviously, they did play him back-to-backs. It was a little weird. Remember at Memphis, he didn't play the second half because he had a back-to-back at New Orleans, and they ended up losing that game. They lost a lot of games and gave away a lot of games and should not have been in this position to be seated where they are. But... I think they always felt all along, let's just get Kawhi healthy to the playoffs. And with a healthy Kawhi, they have a shot. Now, you know, obviously they wanted Paul George there, but the Russell Westbrook thing, man, it's amazing. This was the first, I feel like, first really bad Russell game shooting-wise for them. You know, up to this point, he wasn't taking the rush mid-range shots, trying to bank in that mid-range, you know, contested early in the shot clock, things like that, uh, being baited into shooting threes and stuff like that. He was very aggressive and taking a lot of shots. And I was like, oh, man, these shots keep getting worse and worse. It was the full Russell Westbrook experience yesterday. You live and die with good Russ and bad Russ right down to the halftime thing with the fan. You know what I mean? It was the full Russell Westbrook experience. But at the end there, I mean, it's it's consistent with everything he's done since he joined the Clippers. He's done all these things that has turned out to be a major plus for them adding him at the All-Star break. And nothing he did was unsustainable, and nothing Kawhi did was unsustainable, despite the he shot 13 and 24. It's not like he shot the lights out. And you know what he's going to do. Where's Chris Paul? Where's Devin Booker? Where's Landry Shamit? I'm going to bring those guys into the action. I'm going to attack them one way or another. And just get to my spots. And one time you got to his spot against Torrey Craig. He didn't get to switch. And he just burrows in. He doesn't need a big – like even if you you hedge and don't switch, he just needs a tiny bit of momentum to just get into his little burrow, burrow, burrow game to get to his little 10-foot, 12-foot shot. And to my point on Aiton, one of them, he missed a little one-handed hook. 
and Zoo slammed it back for an emphatic putback. And if you watch Aiton on that play, it was late in the game. He is doing the cardinal sin of nothing. He's not helping. He's he's sort of in no man's land. He's not helping on Kawhi, and he's not boxing out Zubats. And, like, that's the kind of stuff that Aiton's got to clean up. I'd play Josh Okogie a little bit more, I think. Yeah. And I don't like the lineups. I got these four guys who are really good. Three, three Hall of Famers and Aiton, who's very good. He's whatever. He's flawed, but he's very good. I don't like the lineups where I only have one of them on the floor. I want two of them on the floor at all times. Um, that's that's another thing. But this feels like a – I mean, that was a playoff game last night. Tactics, adjustments, stars, everything. I cannot wait for game two. Ohm, you're going to be there for game two. I might bug you again. Thank you for coming on the low post. Enjoy. Phoenix. Anytime. And remember, let me know where you want to go to dinner, man. It's on me. I got you. Oh, be careful. Be careful. All right. Thanks, Ohm. <laughs> See you, man. For the ones who get it done, Granger offers high-quality supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as access to product specialists who have the knowledge and experience to answer your toughest questions. Plus, their commitment to being your safety partner can help you keep your facility safe and your people safer. Call or click Granger.com or just stop by. Two guys drove to work. Neither guy wore a seatbelt. One guy got a ticket. One guy didn't. The same two guys drove home. One guy wore his seatbelt. One guy didn't. One guy made it home. The guy not wearing his seatbelt didn't. Don't risk it. Click it or ticket. Paid for by NHTSA. All right, let's stay in the Western Conference and go to the other Los Angeles team, the Lakers, who went into Memphis, and what a nightmare scenario for the Memphis Grizzlies. The Lakers win game one. John Moran hurts his wrist on Anthony Davis drawing a charge, and according to Tim McMahon, was downtrodden uh, in the locker room and said that his availability for game two was in jeopardy. The Grizzlies are already running low on... NBA caliber players at this point in terms of their rotation. Um, and with Steven Adams and Brandon Clark out and uh, they just they, without John Moran, if he's out for some or whatever portion of the series, they just are not going to be able to score enough in the half court to compete for with the Lakers. And that's why Mr. McMenamin, one of the reasons I thought this would be a long series and I actually ended up picking Grizzlies in seven was the longer it goes, the, the longer it, anything goes, the more I worry about LeBron or AD tweaking something. Mm. And we had the obligatory AD injury scare right away. Just get it out of the way right away. I always think back to Bob Volgaris' tweets about how his biggest health worry about Anthony Davis at this point, and this is like eight years ago, is radiation from all the x-rays he gets in the middle of games. <laughs> um, we got that out of the way. But the longer it goes, the more I, I just get scared they're going to tweak something and this young energetic team is going to is going to kind of run them over. And now, of course, health has struck the young, energetic team even more than it already was. And so that's why I'm watching game two carefully because LeBron believes this team can win. You can tell. And I'm, I expect them to come out in game two with the mindset of, let's get this series over fast. Let's try to go up 2-0 and let's try to spare ourselves a seven-game you know, war if we can. Let's not be satisfied that we stole one on the road and we go home. Like, I, I expect them to come out with a very serious mindset and and at least put it in play 
that maybe they could have a short series. Yeah, the terminology they've been using, Zach, is get greedy. And it's something that they echoed from the coaching staff through the locker room and their players when they were starting to put together a couple win streaks earlier on post-trade deadline. And right now, speaking to people on the on the team this morning even, uh, that's totally the mentality. And they recognize that Memphis, if Ja can't go and – the Lakers are viewing it as a very real possibility that Ja can't go because of the fact that he goes back to the locker room after having the collision with Anthony Davis. He's back on the bench with like three minutes left in, in the game, and he's not going to the scores table. And and everyone who has the respect for Ja as a competitor would recognize if there's any way he could go, he would have gone. And so it's that's a pretty fair indicator of where we could be for game three. Now, of course, the fact that there's an extra day off in between the games, maybe there's a possibility of, of some sort of you know, rapid recovery here or some sort of uh, method that the Grizzlies can go to. But they they view it as, as a chance they're going to be facing a Grizzlies team that's already missing Stephen Adams in the middle, already missing one of its energizers in, in Brandon Clark, and, and now perhaps – missing by far and away its most talented player uh, there is a door certainly open here for the lakers to get some work done and who knows maybe get a a short series and rest up for potentially either a kings team that can score a bunch of points on you or the defending champs yeah and, and without morant like look this is a nightmare for the grizzlies not just because of morant's injury but the lakers won the game despite free throws being even, right? Jaron Jackson was never in foul trouble. Dylan Brooks was. And to get, they're not going to get through any game without one of those two in foul trouble. It's just not going to happen. But the free throws were even. Everybody was bracing for Lakers plus 12 in free throw attempts. And they only got six offensive rebounds, which is the other fear that without Steven Adams, they just don't have that ingredient in their arsenal. And if they lose Morant, they lose a lot of the pace game that they have, which is really their best answer against the Lakers is to run like hell after every defensive rebound and try to use their speed. And the Lakers have become kind of a faster, more athletic team than I think you would think based on the headliner stars being LeBron, who's who's always the chess master and, and sometimes wants to play fast, but sometimes wants to walk it up in AD and, and all the Knicks that he gets. Um, but that's still their best, their best answer. And without Morant and with Tyus Jones in his place, they just don't play with that same speed, even though Bain is like a freight train in the open floor. And if, if, if Morant is out one adjustment, I would think about making if I were Darvin ham is putting Vanderbilt on Jaron Jackson jr. Just so LeBron doesn't have to deal with it because Jaron Jackson jr. Was awesome in game one. I think the Grizzlies were correct to say, if you're going to guard him with LeBron, we're going to make LeBron work. We're going to post him up and try to beat him up and try and wear him down. And, Putting Vanderbilt on Morant, one of the benefits of that is that Austin Reeves was on Desmond Bain, and I think that's the best place for Austin Reeves, and it, it and it puts D'Angelo Russell on Dylan Brooks, and if there's a place to hide D'Angelo Russell, that's it. But if if Morant's out, I might just put um, D'Angelo Russell on Tyus Jones and spare. I just I'm I'm just don't want LeBron to have to work that. I mean, Jaron Jackson's making him work down there. Uh, he was basically calling for the ball when he got LeBron on him in the post. And, you know, there's one possession where he has spin move and scored on LeBron. And, and I, quite frankly, LeBron probably should have been called for a foul because he looked like he was grabbing on uh, to, to JJJ when he made the move. And uh, 
really in the first half, um, Jackson's presence was felt offensively for the Grizzlies. I, you know, things can get jumbled in a playoff game, and then you're you're reeling from the Lakers making a run, and you know, but he certainly wasn't the same type of impact player in the second half, and they're certainly going to need him even more if Ja is limited or can't go at all. So I think it's a good instinct there for you, and also it allows LeBron. Sometimes he can play a bit of a roamer role if he is not on someone that it requires one-on-one attention all the time. So it, you put him on Xavier Tillman, uh, perhaps some possessions, and, and you don't really need to have him putting all his efforts. Or Dylan, or Dylan him, Brooks. Or Dylan who, Brooks, right. Who, who had a couple physical drives against D'Angelo Russell, and you're willing to give that up as part of that matchup. But goddamn Dylan Brooks. Please do not take any more jump shots off the dribble with more than 15 on the shot clock. Catch and shoot, fine. You're going to have to make some. Please no off the dribble jumpers from like 15 feet and out with, with a lot of time. Early on, on Zach, the Grizzlies were getting everything in the paint. Everything was thrust towards the basket. They get a steal or deflection. They come down. Brooks has the ball. Pull up three, 18 seconds on the shot clock. Timeout Grizzlies. Like, we can't have that. They missed it, obviously. And it, but, all the momentum had been – they were getting whatever they wanted. And that was the first kind of bad shot they took, and it was Dylan Brooks. Yeah, and I'm not even sure what 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 – I don't have any, like, great ideas for how Memphis can get more offense in the half court. They're already running a bunch of stuff for Bain. They're already running a bunch of stuff with Kennard, especially when D'Angelo Russell is on him to try to punish that matchup. They're they're already, you know, hunting the right guys in the right ways. It's just the Lakers are a good defense, and they only have so many tools – um, in the tool shed, and the Lakers had a lot of good stuff happening on offense, the most uh, pressing of which was Austin Reeves dominating down the stretch while LeBron was like, kid, you go do it. And I think for all the trades and all the adjustments and excising Russ and replacing him with guys who make sense, I think the biggest thing that's happened for the Lakers in the last three months is that they have realized, and Austin Reeves has proven it, that he's just a really good player. He's a really good all-around offensive player, and I've been saying this for a couple of months. The When the switch flipped that, hey, I have permission to look for my own shot and not be so deferential, and in fact, the team is better when I look for my own shot when the circumstances are right for it. Ever since that moment, he has become a different player. I put him on my six-man-of-the-year ballot. I know he's starting now, but he was third on my six-man-of-the-year ballot. And... I don't want to get too ahead in the offseason. There's no way the Lakers are going to let him walk in the offseason. They have the right to match any offer. Yes, it's complicated to cap, the tax, all that. He's just a really, really good player. Like, this is not a fluke. He's just good. And what he did down the stretch yesterday was, if you're going to put a weak defender on, on Austin Reeves, we're bringing him into the action. Whether it's we're just going to give him the ball or we're going to put him in a two-man game with LeBron and let him slip into open space because you don't want to switch his guy onto LeBron and let him make plays. It, it it's the the I'm him thing was was kind of funny, not as funny as the too small thing he did to Pat Bev. That was the funniest. <laughs> that was the best moment of the Lakers season so far. But it's it's like he's just a really good player, and that that's that's the bottom line. Is he's just a good player. As I was asking a member of the Lakers coaching staff, like at this point, Austin Reeves is a known commodity. So how is he still getting to his spots for the pull-up? And he he thinks that when he shares the court with Anthony Davis, it allows him to operate that way because they can't leave Davis to stunt at him. 
like when they don't even like to switch off of Davis, you know, and, and have him versus a different matchup because one, the Lakers are good at, at finding that slip pass or a lob to AD while the team tries to scramble to do that. Um, but, but two, just, you're not going to leave Anthony Davis. <laughs> a lot of times you have two guys on him. And so that to me was interesting that, that that's such a vital part that I think has maybe gone a little under notice or so. Yeah. I didn't think about this specific of how AD helps Austin Reeves, but you mentioned like him going for his own opportunities and how that helps. I mean, that helps LeBron so much just not to have the burden of it. And if there's the trust factor there as well, it's only going to make his confidence grow. And he's not the only guy that operates that way. Angelo Russell at times, Dennis Struder at times, those aren't deferential players. Uh, they can both kind of go. Uh, and you know, there's always, if you're going to trust a guy to go, there's going to be not 100% effectiveness. There's going to be you know, some turnovers. There's going to be some missed shots. But overall, that kind of additional thrust that the Lakers offense has that's not just dependent on LeBron and AD making every play makes them pretty dynamic and it could be something that you know, takes them on a run this postseason. D'Angelo Russell has been solid for them. 7 of 17 in game one. Not a great shooting game, but made enough shots. Was plus 20. And Dennis Schroeder, I think, all season has been one of the unsung heroes of their team. He just has a good chemistry with LeBron in the two-man game. He plays hard. He knows his role. He knows his, he knows his kind of place on the team. Can I, give you a, can I give you a number that I had to triple-check today to make sure it was right? Yes, please. Reeves, Schroeder, and Russell on the floor together, sort of the three-guard lineup, in 96 minutes in the regular season – the Lakers were plus 85 with those three on the floor. Like, that's – what? How? <laughs> Absurd. And I do think, to Darwin Ham's credit, 23 minutes of Jared Vanderbilt, that feels right. Like, he hasn't overplayed Jared Vanderbilt. He's had a very nice feel for, okay, the offense is getting a little clogged. Let's bring Hachimura in for a little more spacing. Yeah, he's not a great shooter despite going bananas in game one, but he at least is comfortable on the perimeter in a way Vanderbilt is not. Or let's just go LeBron at the four with three guards and AD and juice our offense up a little bit. Okay, now we need a little more defense. Let's bring Vanderbilt back in. He's got a good feel for that. And I also thought uh, it was smart and notable that he basically used LeBron as the backup center yesterday and and did not use Wendon Gabriel, who I think has been fine for them. But if they're not, if Memphis doesn't have any tools to like punish that kind of lineup, and right now they don't appear to, I, I don't see why you wouldn't just go five out like that with LeBron at the five. Yeah, with LeBron at five or even Rui at the five. Uh, you know, that you could, you know, split hairs who was actually the five there, but uh, that's uh, a way for Rui to get some more minutes. I don't know. I think Jared Vander, but you're about right. 25 minutes is probably the ideal space for him. Uh, it was interesting that yesterday it was still a one point game with like two and a half minutes to go. Like the Lakers won by 16 or something like that. But it, I, w I was actually surprised. I, on like the third run out dunk at the end of the game, I, I thought there might, I thought someone was going to do something. Like you usually yeah. see a team, there's like shoving or something. I thought someone on Memphis was going to stand up and be like, come on, you guys are running it up. And nobody did. Yeah, and at no, least that I saw. Yeah, I mean, isn't that if you're David Roddy, like, isn't that what you have to do to earn your paycheck for the day to undercut a guy doing something like that? I'm not trying to call it David Roddy 
nice nice player. I'm just I like David Roddy. Guy, big body guy Roddy. Not, not not getting a, a, a ton of time, and, and you're out there to make your presence felt. I was surprised by that too. But my point being, like now the, the momentum. Obviously, we know how these things go in this playoff. Go like the Lakers have it all, and John might be hurting. Blah blah blah. They already stole home court advantage, but. The Lakers had to win that game because if you're getting 29 points out of Rui Hachimura, you're getting a closing effort like that from Austin Reeves. You're getting a banked-in three from Troy Brown Jr., and you're getting a wild baseline laser pass from LeBron to Jared Vanderbilt, who throws it up at the end of the shot clock to, to beat it. All those are found money. And if you have found money in a playoff game, uh, you better make sure you take advantage and win it. What's your current feel for how LeBron's health is? I, I think he's in a really good spot. And uh, when he came back, obviously four weeks away with the torn tendon in the right foot, uh, that first road trip, they were in Houston. And there was a timeout in the second quarter, and he took off both his sneakers and just looked, you know, kind of be going through it. Uh, and I was like, oh, like maybe, maybe he pushed a little bit too hard, too quickly, and this is something that's going to be a recurring thing. That's the only time in in this, what, he's probably played nine or so games now that he's been back, that I saw any sign of, you know, there's been some fatigue moments, you know, where he's getting his win back, but that's not something that concerns me because he'll continue to, to get that back. But that was the only time that I saw, okay, like, oh, maybe the foot's still there for him. But honestly, like, he, he looks, like, capable of – of being the LeBron that, that can figure out a defense and, and lead this team and play 35 minutes. So I think they've been like a little bit more conscientious of his minutes, a little bit, not a lot bit, but a little bit. Uh, and maybe that's something that they think that they can do to, to help him if they can you know, make a, a deep run here. But no, I don't think that's be a problem. I mean, barring any something else happening. And he hasn't looked super explosive, and he was obviously happy to defer to Austin Reeves late in the game, but that's good. That's healthy. He should defer to Austin Reeves. Like, you don't have to do all the heavy lifting. Don't do it. And even 37, 38-year-old LeBron with 60,000 minutes, like, the, he's still a genius. He's still one of the greatest passers of all time, and he's still 6'8 and a tank, and you could not switch a guard onto him or it's over. Like, that's still that will always be there until he retires and that's still a big weapon for them they were hunting small guards the entire time um and ad just a quiet 22 points 14 whatever what did he have 13 rebounds Seven, 12 rebounds seven blocks three steals three yeah. assists almost a five by five game man i want to see a five by five game it's been a while since we've had one of those in the nba but just a, just he's been mvp level dominant since he came I mean, back from his injury stat too. line his stat line we haven't seen you know, those numbers we just kind of rattle off that hadn't been done in a playoff game since Tim Duncan in 2003. Like, and so obviously what Rui and, and Austin Reeves did jumped off the screen to anyone watching the game, but AD was quietly dominant and he was huge. And I'll just one more point about LeBron talking about him not looking as explosive. Generally, I agree with you, but like, let's not forget, like he had three blocks himself. A couple chase down, down. chase like, down, baby. He's flying at the rim there. So uh, there's still the moments where we still see that incredible athlete that LeBron is. But AD, of course, getting back to the injury scare. <laughs> like, 
I, I think at some point we had just had to wonder if the pain mapping in his brain causes him to feel like something is more serious and traumatic than it actually ends up being. Well, that looked like it hurt. It looked like a, that looked like well, his shoulder got pulled out of the socket or something. The happened. shoulder. I'm not necessarily saying the shoulder. I'm saying there was also. Did you see when he was called for an offensive foul, setting a screen on John Morant, and John runs into his hip, and he's down like this is a major hip injury, you know. And it's not the Jim Brown. I get tackled and I slowly walk up through the huddle. So I think the defense. I make them think that I'm starting to wear down. I'm like it's that. I think it's you know just. It's something about his pain flares in his synapses. Um, it, it seems like he he feels like it's a, it's a bigger thing, and then he works through it, and he's all right. Yeah, I've, there's a lot of science on pain and pain management and pain tolerance, and why some people feel more pain than others, or whether there is such a thing as sort of differential levels of pain, like like cognizance, I guess. I just, I also just think some really tall guys, like it's just, they're just really, really tall and their bodies are a little bit weird and they take pain. Like just any, anyone over 6'10 is just going to have some weird health stuff sometimes. Um, but he's played great. Lakers have played great. I don't even know what to suggest for that. One thing I did look up for Memphis was I wonder how many possessions of zone defense they've played this year. Cause I might at least look at that if, if I just can't slow down the Lakers sort of picking us apart game. Only two teams played less zone than the Grizzlies this year. Thirty-one possessions total for the entire year. So I don't, I don't have a lot of great ideas, especially if Ja is is a no go. Um, but the Lakers look good. They've looked very good now for two months, and they are a legit threat to win the West. And the only, the the main there are two there are two obstacles in their way. Number one, the level of competition is still really good. That's obvious. And number two, you just always feel like you're waiting for the, the other shoe to drop with their health. And, and if they stay healthy, then they're, they have as, maybe as good a chance as anyone to come out of the West. I mean, they're just a good team. And uh, big game two for Memphis coming up. Big game two for Memphis, and I expect the Lakers to come out focused and hungry. Yeah, I, I, I think you're right. I mean, again, getting greedy. And you can completely change the complexion of the series. You already have. Uh, just getting a split in Memphis was obviously their goal, but you go up 2-0 and Crypto.com Arena will be uh, rocking over the weekend. Crypto.com. Saying that, yeah. Uh, but, I mean, uh, you can get some quick work and listen, uh, the Lakers, the health thing, we got to mention, We everyone watch Sunday's games. You see Giannis, you see Tyler Hero, and you see Ja, like, no, but perhaps um, their bad luck's already out of the way. Dave McMenamin, second to none, covering the league's glamour franchise, which is up 1-0. We will be leaning on you as they move along in the playoffs, if they move along at all. Maybe they'll move along in the series at the very least. Uh, thank you, sir. Yes, sir. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, 
It's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Spring is the best time to add new challenges to your training just in time for summer and warmer days. It's also the best time of year to take a new look at your fitness routine, dial it up a notch, and continue powering on. Peloton's varying class lengths were designed with your personalized training in mind. Whether you'd like to add a 10-minute course session at the end of your strength class or take a 60-minute power zone ride to increase your endurance, Peloton classes help you focus on your needs and goals. They are also made to challenge you with a variety of classes like boot camps, boxing, okay? Full body strength, marathon training, all created to grow your skills or push you to improve in what you already excel in. Peloton's expert coaches and nonstop vibes, hashtag vibes, will push you to new levels of strength and endurance, keeping you on your toes while giving you the professional coaching you need. And with a wide variety of options, whether you prefer to run outdoors, row, or ride at home, or strength train at the gym, Peloton has something for you. Get your head start on summer with Peloton at onepeloton.com. That's onepeloton.com. right let's talk about the most interesting and maybe only interesting eastern conference playoff series so far it's monday morning on the west coast maybe sixers nets gets interesting tonight maybe not and that is the bloodbath rock fight between the cleveland cavaliers and new york knicks the four five series i predicted Cavs in seven i didn't feel great about it i feel less great about it now after the knicks took game one 101 97 game two is tomorrow and history suggests the Cavs will win game two. Favorites who lose at home generally roar back and win game two. But do you think, Nick Fidel, that Tom Thibodeau cares about your statistics, your history, your trends? He does not. He cares not for it. And he <laughs> wants to go, just going to win. Go get him. Go get him. We've got more than enough, Sacklo. We got more than enough. More than enough to win. Brunson's hurt. Randall's hurt. Hart's hurt. <laughs> Quickly's hurt. Everyone's Your hurt. heads are falling off. <laughs> we got, by the way, none of those guys are hurt. I'm just saying if they were all hurt. Although <laughs> Randall, obviously. Randall is obviously hurt. So so all year on this podcast, Nick Friedel, I had one consistent take on the Cleveland Cavaliers. Oh, they have the best point differential in the league. Uh, are they a real contender? And all year long I said, as point difference was cool, that's nice. They're not a real championship contender because when they get to the playoffs, it's going to be hard for them to score because nobody is going to guard any of their perimeter players other than Garland and Mitchell, who were both good. Mitchell was obviously fantastic. And they're just going to have to manufacture ugly points with Mobley and Allen tic-tac-toeing it inside and pray that Isaac Okoro makes a shot. Pray that Jetty Osmond makes a shot. He was the X Factor. I said in my preview pod, maybe Jetty Osmond could be the X Factor. Not a great sign that he's that big of an X factor down the stretch, but all of that came to pass in game one. And here are the two stats I want to start you with the Knicks, but this was a defense game. Both offenses were kind of like puttering around, but the Knicks plus six on the offensive glass, including Julius Randall demolishing Evan Mobley for what turned out to be the game ceiling offensive rebound. And by the way, that is the epitome of why I couldn't quite get there on Evan Mobley as defensive player of the year. I had him second, despite his massive minutes advantage over Jaron Jackson Jr., because physical, brutish guys can still kind of bully, not bully, but just move them around just enough. Anyway, plus six on the offensive glass, plus four free throws, won the turnover battle. That is Tom Thibodeau, Nick Basketball. Pound you to smithereens. And the other stat, Mr. Friedel, in 32 minutes, 32 minutes, there's only 48 minutes in an NBA game, so there are only 16 left. In 32 minutes, with the Cleveland Big Four on the floor, the Cavs were plus 15. 
So in the other 16 minutes in which any other group of players were on the floor that didn't include all four of those guys, they were minus 19 in 16 minutes. That's how they lost. They need to find their offense. You've been on this series from the beginning. Um, I have some things I'm going to look for from the Cavs offense in game two. They need to win this game. What are you going to be looking for? Somebody besides Donovan Mitchell has to step up and help more offensively, Zach. And that was my biggest reason why I picked the Knicks before the series started. I just thought they were a little deeper and they had more options. If you're Tibbs and sitting up there in Cleveland, I mean, it was like going into a time machine. We've got before the game, uh, Drew Lewis is going to warm up and see how he feels and, and then we'll decide if he plays. I mean, I've only heard him say that five million times about Derek back in time. But that is exactly the way a Tibbs team wants to play and beat you, especially in the playoffs. He's going to allow Donovan Mitchell to get his. And then he's going to make somebody else step up and have to knock down shots. I just don't think the Cavs have that other guy or those other guys. And frankly, in game one, they just look like they were scared of the moment a little bit. For a lot of those guys, it was their first playoff game. They haven't been through that type of intensity before. And what you see from the Knicks is they've got some dudes that will just rip your heart out. Zach, you and I have been doing this a long time. they got a lot of Tibbs guys on that team. Julius Randle, Jalen Brunson. They are going to come in and they're going to just push you and push you and push you until you fall over. And the guy who came off the bench and was awesome – in game one is Josh Hart. Josh Hart, come on the Low Post Podcast, Josh Hart. You know the invite's <laughs> open. We've talked about it. You know the invite's open because, dude, that guy, talk about a trade that I, I was, I guess, wrong-ish about. I just didn't see him having this much of an – playing this many minutes. We all knew he was going to take the Deuce McBride minutes. I didn't realize how many minutes Tibbs was ready to give him from Grimes share – from Barrett's share, who was bad for the most part in game one. And he has been worth everything they traded for him and more. And he made that literally on a freaking busted ankle, limping around three-pointer late in the game. What a trade by the Knicks brain trust who, you know, got raked over the coals for not trading for Donovan Mitchell, a, a yep. trade that at the time I understood them not making. And it was sort of TBD, like how, how, how much will that hurt going forward? That's obviously the subtext of this series, but they nailed that Josh Hart trade, man. That dude has been balling out since the minute he stepped into New York. It was really interesting, Zach. We're walking out of Rocket Mortgage Fieldhouse. Just rolls off the tongue, you know. Uh, but we're walking out of there the other <laughs> night after game one, and I see Tibbs, and he's pulling his little briefcase behind him, and I say, hey, Tom, Josh Hart, he could have played for your Bulls about, you know, 12, 13 years ago. And he just looks up and he's like, oh, all day, And he didn't mean he wasn't comparing the two players in that sense. Luol went to a couple all-star games. He was a hell of a player. His point is, and he said as much in the, the post-game uh, press conference, Hart is a playmaker. If you need a little offense, he's going to give you that. If you need defense, he's going to provide that. He's going to give you whatever that team needs in order to win that night. It is why Tom Thibodeau adores Luol Deng for all the minutes and all uh, that he gave to those Bulls teams through the years. And you can feel that trust building even more 
with Hart, and and Hart knows that uh, that he's a Tibbs guy. That there's a reason that that he landed where he did. But Zach, I I think as we broaden this out a little bit, I made this point before the series. I feel even stronger as it's rolling along. There is so much hype around the future in Cleveland. They've got these young pieces. They're trying to grow together. They like what they have. If it's me, I'm still taking the Knicks' future over the Cavs' future. And this ties directly into the Donovan Mitchell conversation because they could have made that trade. They could have added some more picks or some more assets and and gotten him potentially from Utah. But what the Knicks have is the, the Tibbs culture that, is building even stronger, it seems, by the day. Brunson has been awesome. Julius Randle goes back to the All-Star game, and they still have some kind of ace up their sleeve. They have all their assets and all their picks, and they have the ability the next time some star comes into the forefront who's miserable somewhere else to potentially land them. This is the Cavs' team. They're looking. They're they're not not looking. Right now they're looking at the Cavs, but they're monitoring and – you know, I, 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 I keep saying this: the playoffs set up the off season. Like, like Absolutely. I, like, did you see? Did you see the um, your old Bulls? Not to sidetrack us to the Bulls, but did you see Arturis Karnashovas' press oh. conference yesterday? Oh. Oh. <laughs> I mean, they are literally the dog in the burning house, saying everything's oh. fine. They, they are li- like, we're good, man. We're good. Never like, in my life, Zach Lowe. Never in my life did I think I would come back on here. 15 years later, defend guard packs. And well, it was long, long since the time guard packs needed to go. But the point was, guard packs never wanted to just be that, that like perennial, like 10 seed and just live in mediocrity. And they were trying to build through the draft. They had plenty of flaws. But Carter Service and Eversley make the Vucevic deal, which is awful. They signed Zach Levine to a max deal. They should have traded him two years before. And they are living in mediocrity. They are look, miserable. That team's going nowhere anytime soon. Their point was we were 15-10 and 10 after the All-Star break, including the play-in games with the number one defense in that stretch. We're trending the right way. We played the good teams well this season. That's good. Zach finished the season on a heater after, you know, not struggling, but not looking like he had the same bounce Early in the season, we want to bring back Vooch. We love Vooch. Maybe we'll extend DeMar. Blah, blah. I'm like, yeah, you guys, like, the Lonzo thing totally changed your team. You did finish 15-10 after the All-Star game. Um, you might be a pretty good team. I, I just, I, I I guess that's fine. I guess I guess that's fine. <laughs> but but let, the, the point You're is. You're not winning the title. <laughs> the point is I spent a, a good chunk of my early morning flight to L.A. yesterday doing fake Zach Levine trades just for the thought exercise. And the point of the thought exercise, one of the conclusions of it was the playoffs will be telling. Like there's going to be three or four teams that come out of the playoffs ready to pivot, disappointed, desperate, whatever. But back to the Knicks. Um, I don't even know what the hell we were talking about with the Knicks. I do. I, no, it's I, the future. That's that's the part oh, of that they're looking. This. That, but that I don't. I want to look at the. I want to look at the present because here's here's what's going on. They're up one zero against the Cavs, and Giannis just got hurt in the first game of the series. That's on their side of the bracket. So we'll see. And they and the Bucks lost. Here's here's what was very predictable. So predictable that I talked about it in the preview. Garland and Mitchell pick and rolls, and actually more Garland than Mitchell. Okay, that's the core of the Cavs' offense. Well, here's what we're going to do. We're going to blitz those guys, trap them, come up to the level of the screen. We'll mix it up, but we're going we're gonna to pressure them high. Make them get rid of the ball and dare you 
to beat us four on three underneath that when three of the four guys can't shoot. Two of them are big guys, Mobley and Allen, and one of them will be Okoro or Wade who can shoot but has just been lost since he's since he got hurt, or Osman who can shoot but the Knicks aren't going to respect him, or Lamar Stevens who didn't play and is not a good shooter. And we're just going to bet on our rotations and bet on you missing and leave those guys open. And we're going to have, if Mobley's the screener, here's what's going to happen. He'll slip. You'll pass it to him at the foul line. Great, cool. Mitchell Rob, or, uh, Mitchell Robinson will step off, up, step up off Jared Allen to block Mobley's way to, to dunking. And Jalen Brunson or who's ever on Okoro will be climbing on Jared Allen's back. And you'll have nothing to do but either kick the ball to Okoro who doesn't want to shoot. After he misses twice, he won't shoot anymore. Or I feel like Evan Mobley missed the same contested layup floater like six times in that game because it's just hard to make those shots in traffic and the Knicks the Knicks bet right and I I think um it's on it's on the Cavs to sort of mix it up and we could talk about that but one of the structural flaws that the Cavs are dealing with is both of these offenses are aiming at the opposing point guard as the weakest defender on the floor. So Jalen Brunson, every time he gets Darius Garland on him, either he gets it on him in a cross match or they run a pick and roll to get him switched. He's like, all right, let's go, baby. Barbecue chicken. Um, uh, uh, Jalen Brunson is guarding Isaac Okoro, and they want to hunt Jalen Brunson, but they have two problems. Number one, Mitchell and Garland don't have a bully ball game the way that Jalen Brunson does, so they can't just like take him down to the block and do stuff to him. And Jalen Brunson is like a cinder block. And number two, if you use Isaac Okoro as a screener, right, which is the way you would do this, it's completely harmless to the Knicks offense because they don't care if he flares out for a three open. And if he rolls, he's rolling into mega traffic with Allen and Mobley both there, and he's a bad playmaker and there's nothing to do. So this this predictable pick-and-roll attack that they used in game one, and they mixed it up some, we could talk about that, is not going to work unless they make shots on the wings. And there will be games where Okoro makes three-corner threes. Like, that's going to happen, and the Cavs will probably win that game. Dean Wade, maybe he gets resurrected and makes a couple corner threes. They might win that game. But they're going to have to spice up this offense in a bunch of different ways that we can talk about because the Knicks came out ready to strangle that, and they did. Hibbs had his plan in place, Zach, and they they nailed it. The rebounding was critical every time you looked down and you saw that the Knicks were getting it seemed the loose balls making the extra plays and as far as the game plan goes they're gonna live with Okoro being wide open take the shot he's got to keep shooting these drive he's got to keep when he's in the corner he's got to keep shooting because these drives to nowhere it's like the Simpsons escalator to nowhere like you're just (laughs) you're just it's not gonna work or he had he had one play where they put him up in the slot and he cut back door and got a basket out of it. They need to do a little bit more of that with him. And we'll, and there's other structural things they can do. But he, he's been a good corner three shooter for some stretches of his career. He's just going to have to make shots and shoot because they need him to defend Brunson. He's got to be on the floor. And this ties into the conversation about both teams' futures, where I felt pushback from some Cavs fans in saying that I felt like the, the Knicks' future was better, it's that, oh, well, Mobley. Mobley's going to be unbelievable. It's like Mobley looked a little bit lost in that game. It was it was just a little overwhelming to him. And can he improve? Of course. After you get the rhythm of being in that environment the first time, uh, that is all part of 
game two and the adjustments that need to be made. From a much wider standpoint uh, on how game one played out and the series uh, adjustments and plans moving forward, I was sitting in there the other night. I've watched these two teams play now a couple times. The Knicks just look like a tougher team. Like they've got more guys to me that are just going to run right through you. And the scary part when you juxtapose the Cleveland adjustments to the adjustments the Knicks are going to make, Randall came out looking strong, but that ankle is still not where it needs to be. He just doesn't look like himself. Zach Brunson was a non-factor in the first half because he picked up three fouls. That, that's that's the thing that got kind of got lost with how he finished the game. They won yeah. this game with Brunson being essentially invisible in the first half of the game. And, and not only that, I, the, the Cavs, when we're talking about what has to change going into game two, Brunson in the second half when he finally got on the floor and stayed there, Every time he went to the rim, it's exactly what you described. It's like, okay, Brunson's going to score. And if Brunson's not going to score, he's going to suck up all the defense and pop it out to somebody who can get a clean look. So uh, it was just one game. The adjustments are going to have to be there from J.B. Bickerstaff, but this is another element to any series. Tibbs has been there uh, a zillion times. He's been through all these types of uh, changes. This is J.B.'s first time. And that was game one. And the read coming into the series was, uh, from a, a straight roster standpoint, the Knicks are just a little bit deeper. We saw that. Tibbs is using those guys a little bit more. And the adjustments uh, that have to be made, I just don't know if Cleveland can make them because I don't know how, other, uh, how many other ways they can go with the lineups they got. Well, first... Um, as Jeff Van Gundy likes to say, the best adjustment is to play better, right? And so yeah. they'll make some more shots. Mobley, a couple of those contested, leaning, flailing layups will go in. And I thought Mobley and Allen, who normally have pretty good interior passing chemistry when teams play the Cavs like this, had none in game one. And some of that credit is to the Knicks. They were there early and they were there aggressively. But I thought there were some times where Mobley had a lob to Allen or, or a slip pass, bounce pass to Allen and didn't have the confidence to throw it for whatever reason. I thought Allen could have mixed up the way he made himself available to Mobley. Like, do a little loop cut into into the paint for kind of a little jump hook instead of always hanging in the dunker spot. So part of it is just play better. But part of it is, I think it's on the Cleveland coaches to mix up their offense a little bit more. And you started to see them do that in the second half, but I think they need to do need to do a little more. And we, we could talk a little bit about how if you want, but because I got I got some I always got kooky ideas. I got some kooky ideas. Well, well, Zach, I'd also throw this part in. The reason that Mobley and Allen never really looked comfortable is because Mitchell Robinson and Randall were on top of things. And Mitchell Robinson and beat the hell out of Jared Allen on the offensive glass, which cannot happen again to the Cavs. On top of the fact that I never expected to say this name game one of this series, but Isaiah Hartenstein comes Dude, in off the bench. He's – He's he was good. Solid. He was really, really solid. I don't know where people. You can't be surprised about him anymore. I, we were on NBA Today last year when he was on the Clippers, and at the beginning of the season, I said to Perk on set, "I think he's going to take the backup center spot from Serge Ibaka." And Perk just laughed at me because people don't know this. This dude is like a legit good basketball player. Yeah. The Knicks paid him as such, and he's been good for them. But yeah, the two big guys for the Knicks, all the big guys for the Knicks, Toppin made a three. Like they were, they were really good in Game One. It's a team that came into the series with confidence in being able to 
play their way and beat this Cavs team. And it's a team that walked out of there Saturday night, Zach, feeling even more of it. This is a group that believes they're going to find a way. This is a group that has been uh, just had the messaging of Tibbs that no matter what happens, that they're going to to punch and punch and punch and finally knock them over. But the thing that would make me feel great as a Knicks fan on top of Randall still getting better and Brunson isn't going to be in foul trouble, you would think the same way in game two. As, as our man Dan Stanzik points out, quickly didn't even make a field goal. R.J. Barrett looked kind of lost out there. He didn't play well at all. They had guys that they usually get solid contributions from that didn't even hardly show up, and they still won. And so when you when you compare that to, all right, well, maybe the Cavs can make a few adjustments, the difference is uh, Tibbs and that staff just have a lot more options uh, to make changes and expect more from other guys. Yeah, quickly we'll play better. I was actually surprised that he, he wasn't very good. Um, by the way, but, but the other guy who needs to play better, we haven't mentioned him yet, is Karis LeVert, for whom the Cavs oh, traded – the first round pick that they have in this draft, which is fine. Like it's going to be the 26th or 25th pick, whatever it is. I think there's a coin flip involved. Um, totally fine trade. They're hiding Brunson on him too. And the Cavs were like, okay, you know, you're a ball handler. Will, will you, if they're going to hide Brunson on you, we'll use you as a point guard. Similarly to how the, the Celtics were like, well, if, if Trey Young's going to guard Derek White, hey, man, you played point guard for San Antonio. We're just going to give you the ball and you're going to punish Trey Young. And Karis LeVert was awful in game one. They didn't yep. trust him to play down the stretch. He's got to be better too, but quickly will be better. And I th- I honestly think, depending on Randall's health, I think the Knicks left some some punishing Garland stuff uh, kind of hanging, like hanging for them to pluck. Like I, I would run, if he's going to hide on Grimes, Grimes is a good shooter, really good shooter, on-the-move shooter. I would have I would run some more like Randall Grimes inverted pick and rolls. Like try to get the switch, have him flare out for threes. I think there's things they can do. The the thing I will be watching though is the Cavs offense in game two. Because they know what's coming now. And the Knicks will have some counters that all teams do, but they know what's coming. And they just need to have more spice. So second half of the game, like I think it was second quarter or maybe second half. Many, like, six possessions in a row, they ran the same set over and over again, which was a screen-the-screener play for Donovan Mitchell, where Darius Garland would hit Evan Mobley's guy or Jared Allen's guy with a pick in the paint to try to get the guy behind the play so he couldn't blitz Donovan Mitchell. That actually worked pretty well, and on one of them, Garland veered sideways all the way to the corner and kind of confused the Knicks' defense and got an open three out of it. I can't remember if he made it or missed it. I would that That was good action for them. Um, I, they just need more variety, more confusion for the Knicks. Like there were a couple, there were a couple possessions where they used Allen as the screener and had Mobley spotting up in the corner. Now Mobley is not a shooter. No one is going to guard him there, but just changing the geometry of the floor every third and fourth possession confused the Knicks. Um, how about this? I would give Mobley the ball and run some off ball split actions and screening actions between Garland and Mitchell throw a Coro in there, Osma, who's ever in, and and see if I can get them the ball on the move with an advantage and use Mobley's passing. Even even use his passing like if he's the screener and it's a Mitchell Mobley pick and roll and they blitz, hit hit Mobley and then have Mobley go into a dribble handoff with the other guard and try to get the Knicks defense scrambling behind the play. Like there's other things you can do rather than just maraud into traffic over and over again. And I think it's on the Cleveland coaches 
to kind of do some of this stuff. And they're 100 times smarter than me. If I can think of some of these things, they can, they can think of 9 million other things. It's what uh, feeds into that confidence, though, that the Knicks have because just being around them the last few days, even if they give those different looks, Zach, I think they have. They believe the Knicks do that. They have the counters for them, and they they'll be ready. To- you know, you know, Tibbs. You know, Tibbs is just sitting there with his coaches, like, "What are they gonna do?" He's he's cutting up that steak, going, "Oh yeah, let's see what happens." But I, having having outlined all the differences that could be, as we look ahead now to the rest of the series, do you see this Cavs team still being able to pull out the series? Forget game two. Yeah, absolutely, you, absolutely. You don't overreact. Don't overreact to losing game one at home. All you got to do is win a road game. All you got to do is win one road game. And also, you know, like the longer, like maybe Randall's ankle feels better. Maybe it feels worse. Like you just don't know how that's going to evolve. Yep. But no, I'm not going to panic after game one. It was a bad performance. Everyone's got to be better around the two star guards. I think they will be better. History suggests they will win game two. You can throw history in the trash can if you want. I would, I would bet on them to win game two. Then you go to New York, 1-1, and you got to get a split, and it's going to be hard. Yep. That crowd's going to be insane, and it's going to be it's going to be hard to do. But you know, I, 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 I obviously you don't feel great about Cavs in seven after they lose game one at home the way they did. But I, 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 I can they win the series? Absolutely, the, I think. I feel even stronger now that the Knicks are going to finish him off because I think what. What's going to happen, no matter how game two plays out, and and I'm with you, history would tell you that uh, the team that loses game one at home usually fires back and feels more confident. And, and I'm not saying I'm I'm like I think they're going to win the series. You asked yeah, me, right. could they win it? I think they could. Now it's now it's probably like 55-45 Knicks. If I started Cavs in seven, now it's probably 55-45 Knicks. Because I'm looking at how they responded in that first moment, and and let's see. If they they can uh, get themselves righted in game two, but I I started looking ahead towards that environment in game three at the Garden, and and the insanity of a Knicks fan base that not only knows their team is good, but you mentioned it with with Milwaukee kind of teetering right now. Let's see what happens with Giannis uh, in the days ahead. That Cavs team. It just doesn't seem like it's got the type of personality on the whole that is going to say, all right, we're going to go right in the middle of uh, of the lion's den here, and we're going to to hit with everything we got and find a way. I, I just I don't see that when I watch them in the regular season, and I certainly don't see that aside from maybe Mitchell being able to respond. That's the fun of the playoffs, though. We're going to find out just what they have inside but uh, I feel even more confident as we sit here now that this Knicks team physically is more dominant and they're just mentally tougher than a younger Cavs team that's trying to find its way couple of things um I have a little more faith in the Cavs medal than you do despite their inexperience around around Mitchell in the playoffs I mean Mitchell has done it in the playoffs like big 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 time I just am a huge Garland believer. I think Garland is now taking the throne as the most underrated player in the NBA. And I actually think they underutilized him in game one, which is part of the dynamic they've had to figure out with those two guards. Is like when Mitchell gets cooking, he can fade into the background a little bit. 
Thing number two, The Athletic is reporting that there is optimism surrounding Bucks star Giannis Atetekumpo, my wife's favorite name in the NBA. Number two is Tiago Splitter, by the way, um, uh, which is just an awesome name. Um, that he's that he optimism about his availability for game two. Obviously, I would still pick the Bucks to win that series. Maybe even without Giannis, the Tyler Hero injury is like the Heat are running low on on guys who can put the ball into the basket and to ask Jimmy to do this every single game is going to be really hard. So that's that. Um, I think this is going to be a fun long series. I hope. But to your point, if the Knicks win game two and it's two zero and they haven't played a home game yet, um, you're you're looking at a possible a possible shorter series. Although, you know, if the Cavs win one, they get game five at home. So maybe they force the Knicks to close it in six. So big game between two, you know, good teams. These are just two good teams. The Knicks are good. And to your point about the Knicks fans, I think everyone had some suspicion that the the team two years ago was a little bit of a paper tiger. Like I, I picked Atlanta to beat them in the first round and they, their offense fell apart. The fans love Brunson and, and, they, they, he has given them. I saw Sean Fennessy, my old editor at Grantland, tweet about his. He's uncomfortable with this feeling of confidence he has in a Knicks star, and he hasn't felt this way since Ewing. I think that's how the fans and the team feel about Brunson. Like, we've got a stabilizer and a gamer and a ball handling stabilizer that we didn't have two seasons ago. And we just have a completely different revamped bench with Quickly, who's probably going to win six man of the year. And, and, and heart and top and like I think there's a if two years ago was kind of like found money like whoa we're in the playoffs this is amazing this is I, I think there's a greater faith in this team and 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 they've earned it I think this is a legit really good team and, and Zach as I watch Brunson you see a guy at the end of games who Tibbs trusts completely and it speaks to the feeling that the fan base has but if the game is is running down to the wire and you need that bucket, and we saw it in game one. I mean, Hart hits the three, but then it was Brunson who, who makes uh, the next play. Brunson plays with zero fear and even more, which I think is crucial. He plays with a calmness that everybody else feeds off of. So things are hectic and the game looks like it's spinning out of control and up oh, are the Knicks going to blow this after having – uh, game one seemingly wrapped up. Here's Brunson. Hey, I got it. It's all okay. And when Tibbs has that kind of trust in a player, and I've only seen it two other times as a main guy, Derek in the very beginning in those Bulls days, and for that brief, brief moment in time, uh, Jimmy in Minnesota. But when Tibbs trusts that guy and he's not losing his mind over there on the sideline, Everybody else kind of looks at each other even when times get rough, and they go, no, 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 we got it. Because either Brunson's going to hit the shot or he can kick it out to Randall, and they trust him to make those shots. And we didn't haven't even gotten to Hart and quickly, all those other guys on the periphery. But I think the trust between Tom Thibodeau and Jalen Brunson is only going to grow deeper, and it is really, really strong right now. I meant to mention Butler during our little bulls aside. I've said this before, and with every passing week, it gets more and more profound to me. Chicago trading Butler is one of the all-time fork-in-the-road moments of the last 20 years in the NBA. The Bulls deciding, yeah, we don't want a super Mexican guy. He's, he's not for us. We're, we can't go. We can't go to the highest level if we if we occupy that amount of cap space with Jimmy Butler, and we're gonna 
take a step back, get some bites at the apple in the draft, get Levine, get done, blah, blah, blah. And, and they've just been in purgatory ever since. And all Jimmy does is win. Now you mentioned the Minnesota era. It, be, it was so bad. It became a game of zones episode about Jimmy's rebellion in, in Minnesota. But, but to your point about Brunson, Nick Friedel, let's end with a nice thought. You mentioned, is, isn't that all any of us want in the, in life is someone to look at us in our eyes and in our souls and say, it's going to be okay. It's, it's going to be, be okay. okay. Isn't that all? Isn't that all we need? That's all we need on a human level is the Jalen Brunson effect. It's going to be okay. Nick, I know you were wearing flip flops in Cleveland yesterday. It's still going to be okay. It's going to be okay. Okay. Oh, buddy, I, I needed to hear it. Although I, I will add this very quickly on the Jimmy stuff because so many Bulls fans are still so pissed off about that deal. No matter what the Bulls thought, and and the Bulls wholeheartedly did not believe going back in time that Jimmy could be the number one star on the title team. And he's proven to damn near be that they were two games away in the bubble. What I would tell any Bulls fan is, ah, they messed up. They should. The Bulls couldn't handle Jimmy. The culture that was created with that team could not handle Jimmy Butler. So that move had to happen in some regard because he was going to eat that franchise alive, which was all part of why they made the decision, hey, we're, we're done with this. We're starting over on top of the the lack of belief uh, in being the guy. But uh, that we could go hours and hours on. What I would tell you is uh, I am going to go walk over to Nick's practice now, uh, and I'm going to find a way to make it through this 40-degree really bad weather. But uh, thanks for believing in me, buddy, and uh, thanks hey, for look, having me on. At least Wendell Carter Jr. and Lowry Markinen never became anything. Nick Friedel, <laughs> enjoy Cleveland, sir. <laughs> This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.